I'm someone who loves trying out different makeup looks, but doesn't really wear much on a daily basis, so I like to focus on making sure I have high quality staples. And whether you like a fresh face, full glam, or somewhere in between, you've probably seen Thrive Cosmetics Viral Tubing Mascara. I've certainly seen it everywhere, you know the one in the turquoise tube? So that mascara, along with all of Thrive Cosmetics beauty products, are certified 100% vegan and cruelty-free, which I look for in makeup, and they've got excellent quality to match. And something I didn't know from all the mascara videos I've seen is that for every product sold, Thrive Cosmetics donates either that same product, another product that is needed more, or a monetary donation. They've worked with over 500 nonprofits to help with a wide range of causes like supporting cancer survivors, people experiencing homelessness, education access, and so much more. Knowing that makes me feel even better about using their products. And I do enjoy using them. Like I said, I like having high quality staples, and so my favorites are products that are multi-purpose, like the Brilliant Eye Brightener. It comes in a bunch of colors, and I like using them as eyeliner, eyeshadow, and even highlighter. Thrive Cosmetics is luxury beauty that gives back. Right now, you can get an exclusive 20% off your first order at thrivecosmetics.com thrive. That's Thrive Cosmetics, C-A-U-S-E-M-E-T-I-C-S, dot com slash thrive for 20% off your first order. Calling all lovers of mystery and fans of a good story. If you haven't already heard me talk about June's journey, you're in for a treat. It's time to don your detective hat in this free hidden object mobile game that delves into the captivating journey of June Parker, a self-proclaimed detective on a quest to unravel the mystery surrounding her sister's untimely death. In June's journey, you get to play as June, deciphering clues and unveiling secret plots within thousands of beautifully illustrated scenes. And did I mention it's set in the glitzy 1920s? New chapters are added weekly, so you will never run out of new thrills to uncover, and you can also personalize and decorate your very own Orchid Island where the story takes place. How sharp are your detective skills? Find out when you download June's Journey on your Android or iOS device, or play online via Facebook games. Your detective journey awaits. Hi, I'm Keegan. And I'm Madigan. And you're listening to Your Your Angry Angry Neighborhood Neighborhood Feminist. Feminist. This is a podcast where we explore the world through our own personal feminist perspectives. And I'm burping like crazy. I'm sorry. I gave Madigan um, (sighs) champagne. Or really, it's sparkling wine. It's not even champagne. Let's not be fancy. It's, It's in a can. It is. It is in a can. There's that. I am like super belchy right now, so... There's okay. going to be some fun editing it's happening all right. here. Hopefully, I'm just, like, scared that I'm going to, like, say a word and it's going to, like, the burp is going to come out as I say the word. Bold of you to assume I'll edit it out, but uh, <laughs> here we go. Oh, shit, I'm not in charge of this one. Oh, God. Uh, so, it is our second week yes. of Black History Month. It is the third week, but uh, for us, it is the second week of covering uh, Black History Month yes. on the show. And... Um, We were trying to figure out what we wanted to do this week, and I realized that this topic is not exclusive to the Black community or the Black experience. Um, A lot of my notes are to do with colorism in regards to African Americans. I did that as well. Uh, I will touch, or we will touch Mm -hmm. on colorism in other cultures, of course, because it is not... It is very universal. Yeah, it's not a singular cultural experience. It's something that happens um, everywhere, but I do think that colorism in the United States, as it pertains to African Americans, is something that is very specific to our 
culture and legacy because of slavery. Yes. And so it's an interesting conversation to have within the context of that. Exactly. And that's why we wanted to talk about it uh, this month. Yeah. Yeah. So um, let's just start off with, you know, the good old definition of The good of old definition. I didn't even write down a definition. I just... I copied this straight from uh, straight from Merriam-Webster. Oh, so, good. <laughs> the definition of a colorism is prejudice or discrimination, especially within a racial or ethnic group, mm-hmm. favoring people with lighter skin over those with darker skin. And um, writer Alice Walker defined it as colorism, the preferential or prejudicial treatment of same-race people based on skin color. And she said it continues to this day. She once wrote, We cannot as a people progress for colorism like colonialism, sexism, and racism impedes us. And um, I think that that's an important distinction is it is typically within your own race or culture yes. that there there's this distinction made between the literal color of your skin tone. And I've actually um, heard it referred to, and I think the first time I heard it referred to as this was in the documentary Dark Girls, uh-huh. which I did not have time to rewatch before uh-huh. we did this episode, but I have watched in the past. Okay. Um, and they called it horizontal racism. So it's kind of like... It's within the same line of your race, but it's, right. it's almost like a scale. Yes. I feel like. But it's interesting because although, from my perspective, it seems to take place within a race. Mm-hmm. It's like a prejudice within a race. Mm-hmm. But because of the prejudice within the within that race, it's almost kind of allowing the prejudice then to spill out into the general population. Right. Well, and largely... And the way that, like, white people see black people and things well, like that. And largely that is because in the African-American community in particular, especially, right? Because, like, there's colorism, again, within a lot of cultures. But within the African-American experience, it's more than just the color of your skin. It's also your features. Because very often what led people to be lighter skinned um is cross breeding <laughs> that, that sounds like the wrong it word it sounds horrible but that's all i know how to but, say but yes i mean yeah it is it is kind of that it was the way that this kind of started in the united states was um there was a culture of rape that would happen between white men who owned slaves and you know and african women yeah. who were enslaved and um what would happen was they would then give birth to biracial children. And then there became these kind of like links or ties while most of the time the slave master would not acknowledge almost never yeah. uh, would they acknowledge that that child was theirs. Right. There was still this familial tie or there would be these there kinds like of preferential connections. treatment. I right. Mean, so what would happen is they would take them and they would keep them in the house and then they became house slaves. Yeah. Uh, and people of darker skin who maybe weren't involved in this situation, they would be um, field slaves. Yeah. And so the way that they were treated became very different. And so then they became this kind of like social class that was attached to people with lighter skin because they had the better jobs. Um, and, you know, it seemed more desirable to have people with European features, more European features. To be um, in the home. To be around. Yes. Yeah. yeah. I was trying to explain to my mom last night the one drop rule because yes. we 
I know somebody who is Hispanic and, and very dark skinned actually and had a baby with someone who is like Irish Jewish mm-hmm. and their baby is white, mm-hmm. has blonde hair, blue eyes, like doesn't look anything like the mother. And my mom was asking, well, like, what would it be like for that girl then? Because she doesn't look that way. And I I didn't do any research on this, but I do remember talking about, like, what is it called? The one drop yes. rule where it's like if you have any black or any Hispanic mm-hmm. in you, that's who you have to identify as. Right. It was specific to, um, I believe it, I totally believe it's probably bled into other cultures. But uh, I think originally it was, it, it, it was from the slave right, time, Right, it, it pertains specifically to African Americans, yeah. um, but... I'm sure that that is a thing that all mixed race people feel. Yeah, and I do think that there is a situation of like, well, what do you look like? That that's the thing about colorism that makes it the most interesting is like, really, race is a thing that can be kind of ambiguous. Yeah, like you kind of have to ask a lot of the time. Like sometimes, uh, especially today, mm-hmm. because people th- we're, we're getting so, more and more diverse. Exactly, and mixed, we're know? so intermixed that a lot of times race is very ambiguous, whereas skin color is the first thing you see. Right. And, like, the first thing that you notice. So you can make judgments based on skin color. So if you are a white-passing, if you're a white-passing person of color, your experience through life is going to be different than if you are not. Yeah, Um, and I actually read a quote from a Time Magazine article that said just that. You know, we are very visual I read the same thing. In fact, I think I have it. I don't have it written down anymore because I didn't like how it was said. Um, But yeah, I mean, we do, as horrible as it is, when we see something that is maybe different than what we're used to, Mm Or if we see something that is similar to what we are used to, our reactions to those two things are going to be different. We're immediately going to be attracted to what is more familiar to us. Right. And that's inherently... It's biological. It is. And it's it's a problem because we... And that's why you have to make sure that you're educating children, especially that there is... That the color of your skin doesn't mean you're inherently good or bad. Right. And... When we start becoming a more multicultural society, Mm -hmm. right, and hopefully, although it doesn't seem like that's what's happening, uh, it will help to curb some of these, like, more racist tendencies we have when all of these cultures are intermixing and being around each other more. Um, It is also human nature for us to find ways to divide ourselves. And one of those ways is skin tone because that is something that is always going to exist. There's always going to be varying hues of people. Um, not just it, there's always going to be ways to divide, right? It's yeah. just like skin tone or body size yeah. or facial structure. Like, are you pretty? Are yeah. by societal standards or are you not? You know, like there's always going to be these ways to kind of like split yourself up. And I actually wanted to interject really quick because as it, we're talking about colorism, but it got me thinking because I don't. I'm not a science gal. I'm not even a huge history gal when it comes to scientific Mm -hmm. stuff or anything like that. So I basically just Googled, why do we have different skin tones? Mm -hmm. And it was, I'm sure when I'm saying this, everybody's laughing at me because I'm sure everybody knows this what me and I'm like the last to catch on. No, stop it. But it was interesting because I was learning more about like the archaic homo sapiens because originally, so we were all covered in hair. Mm Mm-hmm. And then about 1.2 million years ago, we started evolving and the hair on our bodies started coming off. Mm -hmm. And therefore, our skin was vulnerable to the sun. Mm -hmm. And it all had to do with our locations. So for a long time, everybody who was living in the South, their skin was darkening and darkening and darkening, like Southern, like, hemisphere. Right. Their skin is darkening and darkening and darkening. 
And as these archaic homo sapiens start venturing north, their skins didn't need that same protection and yeah. that protection anymore. It's Therefore, why, they had a lighter tone of skin. Yeah, it's why black people don't age the same way. Yeah. <laughs> you know what I mean? And don't burn as easily in the right. sun. Yeah, there's more protection there. Look at Keegan and I in 30 years. I'm going to look like an old hag, and you're still going to be hot. Uh, I don't know. I really <laughs> don't know about that. I've... I've Got some fine lines creeping up on me. The amount of like stress, I'm like Jesus. Like, uh, my smile lines. I'm like, what the fuck are smile these? Smile lines are good. I know, but I'm fucking 27. <laughs> I'm like, what is this shit? Yes. I just found that fascinating, so I want to throw that in there really quick. So yeah, so we were talking about kind of like the history of colorism and how it began, and um, that kind of mentality that white people one became more comfortable around lighter skinned black people or mixed race biracial yeah. people um partially because you develop a different kind of bond with yeah. the people who are in your home well, um, every day than you would people who are outside. And also, they're doing a different kind of work that is considered to be more civilized, right? Like, they're doing the sewing and the tending to children and the cooking, and they're doing things like that um, rather than doing the actual hard labor outside. Right. So it gives you a different kind of mentality, and they look like you. So they, in, in some instances... Because you're actually related. <laughs> yeah, and and I I didn't do any research on this, but you brought up something when you were saying that, um, which made me think about education, because obviously the slaves were not allowed to have any sort of education. They would, you know, attempt to teach each other different things. Mm-hmm. Um, but I wonder if just growing up in a slave owner's home, being around the kids or, you know, anything, just working for mm-hmm. them but in that environment, because there is a, a statistic that says that, you know, a lighter-skinned black person and a darker-skinned black person with the same, you know, degree, same capabilities, same educational level, mm-hmm. they're more likely to choose to hire the light-skinned oh, yes. black person. And I wonder if that's something that started back in that time as well, because maybe they were better spoken. Maybe they had other uh, clothes or manners mm-hmm. where that was perceived that way. Again, I didn't do any research on this. I'm just wondering if well, that's a thing. Well, I-, I think that there, that's because of a number of instances, and I did write some of them down, okay. um, because after slave times like okay so first of all like during slave times right so let's just take let's just take thomas jefferson for a uh, for instance let's right do it. let's do that so um his wife martha yeah um martha's father fathered a number of children mm-hmm. um with a slave that he had Essentially, he raped a slave and mm-hmm. um, had a number of children, and one of those children was uh, Sally Hemings. So I didn't know they were like sisters, somewhat related. They're sisters. Gross. So uh, Martha, um, whenever her father passed away, or when she married Thomas Jefferson, she inherited her siblings. Yeah. Essentially, her half siblings, and so she brought them into Thomas Jefferson's home. Did she know that they were half siblings? Yeah, I'm pretty sure. Okay. Yes, I'm fairly certain. In fact, a lot of people say that Sally Hemings and Martha looked similar. Yeah. So she brought them over, and then, of course, uh, Thomas Jefferson, whenever Sally Hemings was 14, uh, decided (sighs) to start what history has called an affair, but we all know was... Is fucking rape. Rape. Um, So uh, there was that, and so... Because there was a familial tie there that they didn't acknowledge as, like, something that was actual, um, but there was this kind of weird situation. A weird um, relationship between the family. Right. So not only 
her half-siblings who went with her to Thomas Jefferson's home, but then whatever children came out of those uh, whatever relationships that happened there, they were not only given good jobs, but the 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 men would also be like valets and things like right. that. And they would oftentimes even be allowed to work uh, for other white families. So they would be permitted to like leave and work and sometimes were even given um, payment. So yeah. they were developing different kinds of skills that would allow them to move into a different class after the emancipation happened. Right. This is this is my question really quick. And I don't mean yes. to interrupt you. No, no, no. You're what fine. was Martha thinking when Sally was pregnant? I'm sure she was not happy. Does she know? I'm sure she knew. She had to. I'm known. sure she knew. I think Sally Hemings had like six kids or some it shit. It was a lot of kids. Yeah. So I'm sh- and it's very awkward just uh, explaining to a at the time five year old when in Hamilton Jefferson's says uh, Sally won't you open this or whatever mm-hmm. and he's like what's that and I'm like mm. oh. yeah I mean <laughs> yes and like also Sally Hemings children I'm sure were very light skinned yeah they were a quarter yeah so that's true. It's well, they may not have been, but it's quite likely that they were very yeah. light skinned. So um, I, I'm sure Martha knew something was happening. Right. Um, and I think Thomas Jefferson even took Sally Hemings to uh, Paris with him at one point. So I, I think she Gross. had to have known. That poor woman. That poor girl. She was 14. Yeah. I mean, I think she was probably thing. older by that point, but still. Well, yeah, but it started at 14. Yes. When you're, and that's the thing that people forget sometimes is that when your abuse starts young, there is something in your brain at times that will almost make you stay. That age. Sometimes when there's a severe trauma at a certain age, it's almost like you can't develop mentally. Who knows what Sally Hemings really thought of that situation, but it doesn't really matter because the power... She's still a victim. The power dynamics were such that she didn't have a choice. Yeah. She didn't have a choice. Yeah. She couldn't... Like, I hate when they frame it as, like, this love affair that happened. I'm like, no, no, no. So after the emancipation, the dark and light division that had been perpetrated by white people, while they, of course, still had this belief that light skin was better for all Mm -hmm. those reasons we've just said, um, African-Americans also began to base social classes on skin color. And this is kind of where that horizontal racism, this Mm -hmm. um, colorism uh, starts creeping up. Because up until this point, yes... Oftentimes, they were the most well-educated. They did have the jobs that they could try and get hired for kind of, like, white-collar jobs, right? Like, jobs within the home, valets, butlers, like, rather than being sharecroppers. And so they developed a certain kind of status. And black people started creating blue vein societies, uh, which is kind of like the paper bag test. There were all of these tests, right, to determine um, if you could join certain social clubs or fraternities or Or, sororities. Or be, like, hired for a job. Yes, but within black communities themselves, like, if they would have, they would have these, like, social societies and one of them was the blue vein society, which is, like, if you can see your veins through your skin... Um, then you're light enough, both you and I pass. And there was the paper bag test, which was if you are lighter or darker than a paper bag. Um, If you are lighter than a paper bag, you can join. If you are darker, you can't. There's also the silhouette test, which was when they would shine a light against your face and then look at the shadow that it cast on the wall. And if your profile resembled um, that of a white person, then you could join. Uh, If you looked very African in your profile, you could not join. There were all of these they were all of these I didn't things. know about that one. Right, because it was more than just your skin color. Yeah. It was also 
this negative effect that European beauty standards have had on people of color. Right. And this was a big part of it. It's because, yes, you had more European features. I have more, like, I have a straighter, longer nose and, like, things like that because I have European ancestry. You know what I mean? And so that was, like, a big part of it. And it's kind of like, it's, there is something where it's like, I've noticed in the natural hair trend and things like that where people are trying to kind of take back their power in a yes. way of what makes them naturally beautiful and important mm-hmm. and don't yes. have to assimilate to those European standards. Yeah, and there was a really uh, good TED Talk. I think it was like a college TED Talk uh, from Stanford whenever I was doing the prep for this episode, and it was a woman, I will link it in the show notes, uh, who was a dark-skinned black woman, and she was talking about how when Straight Outta Compton came out, she loved Straight Outta Compton, and she was looking at the casting notifications uh, for it, and there was this A-girls, right? Like, A-girls, super classy, um, can't have weaves. B-girls must be light to medium skin tone. C-girls must have medium skin tone. D-girls, dark skin. Dark skin, natural hair. You could have natural hair only if you were um, a D-girl. You were supposed to be, like, quote-unquote, ghetto. Those were the ghetto girls. And these are the messages that we're telling. You know, when we start getting into... I do want to go a little bit more into the history, but where this is going to end up at the end is the lasting effects that this has on people today. If you watch the documentary Dark Girls, which I really encourage everyone to do. It was on Netflix. It's not anymore, but I'm sure you can rent it for like a dollar ninety nine um somewhere. But it was really affecting for me because I think whenever you're a person of color, you can sometimes get wrapped up in this idea that like, um, yes, all these issues are about me. And then it is humbling as like a lighter skinned black person, I self-identify that way, biracial person, to see this other part of it that, like, you are not privy to. Right. And you can't speak on, I can't speak on their experience. It's educational. But watching these women talk about their experiences as not just black women, but dark-skinned black women, and watching them cry about the way that they've been treated within their own community as already marginalized people and then feeling like men don't want to date me because I'm black. Um, the, I'm dark skin. The statistics of that is horrifying. It, it's too. horrifying and it's true. Um, so black women are the most educated group in the country, yeah. um, in the United States, but they are the most uncoupled group yeah. in the United States. And it's also true that oftentimes... Men don't want to... Black men don't want to date dark-skinned women. I remember hearing Although, that a lot from, like, black friends Oh, mine. yes. They want a light-skinned woman. It's very weird. It's very weird, and it's it's gross. Yeah. Um, but you know what? It's it's also... It comes from years and years of history. Yeah, it's it's like socialization. Like yes. We've been, we've been conditioned to feel a certain way, but it's it a class thing. It, and, and in a lot of like if we're if we're looking outside of just the black community in the United States, when you're looking at other countries, like I'm thinking of like countries in Asia. Yes. Like it very much is a class 
thing. Yes. Where I feel like, especially in the United States, because colorism has such ties to slavery, it yes. also takes on a, a much deeper meaning. Right. Well, and because after slavery, as we were saying, in order to join some of these societies, um, you had to be light-skinned. Of course, it continued to keep education. They were trying to separate themselves to be able mm-hmm. to get the best lives that they could for themselves and their families, which you can't necessarily fault them on, but at the same time, it's it's segregating well, yourself from and you a can, community. You can fault them on it a little bit because I do think I mean, I do, some of but... it I do think some of it had to do with this leftover feeling of superiority. Right? Like yeah. because for so long, um like why should I be put in the same group when I was inside and you were outside? Right. Like that kind of thing. Right. And and it's kind of the same thing as like um, I think I've talked about it before in this podcast, but how rich white people really kind of stoked the flames of the separation between whites and blacks, because there was a time whenever poor white people saw poor black people or slaves, and they were like, actually, we have more in common with each other yeah. uh, than we do with rich white people. So why don't we band together? It's like it's it's the same thing that's happening now. Anytime yeah. poor people start getting like this idea where they're like, hey... Maybe it's the rich people that are the problem, right? Yeah. Um, that they they were like, hey, maybe we should get together. And that's when, like, rich white people were like, how can we make poor white people feel like they're better than poor black people? Oh, God, and look so, at us today. And so then they could say at least, they, they, they were poor, yeah. but they could at least be like, but, but I'm, I'm superior. But I'm superior because I'm white. And so there was, I think, that same kind of mentality happened in the African-American community where, like, after emancipation, they were like, yes, I'm black, but I'm not that kind of black. I'm yeah. still better than somebody. And they had that kind of mentality, and I think they wanted to hold on to that. And it's really fucked up. Yeah. But I do think there's a part of that that's like human nature of just being like, right. And that's I don't what I meant feel... by saying I can't fault them because it's that thing of like where you'll do the best for your family or for your cause, but at the same time, for yourself. To yeah. What, yeah. And for yourself. But also, like, what is that gaining in the long run? As, for as you? a whole, for your people, not much. Not you know much. what I mean? And and it's caused lasting damage within, yeah. within this community. Um, but it's, I think that that's kind of like where it was coming from, like, originally. Okay. So this kind of continued to happen, like, where, like, light-skinned people had the best um, neighborhoods. They were able, because they could be less offensive to their white neighbors and things like that. So all of these neighborhoods um, started being kind of, like, inhabited by lighter-skinned black people. And it continued on even through the early days of the NAACP, uh, which I think we talked about before. We touched on that, yeah. Yes, um, where, you know, these people, who we look up to as, like... Heroes. Um, yeah, like uh, Dubois, the, these people who we look up as, like, black heroes and things from the early days of the NAACP. I mean, he was, like, a light-skinned black man. And right. they kind of withheld this idea of colorism. And so... It does... It, it's drawing parallels to me as well with the beginning of the feminist movement as well. It's, it's deciding what cross you're willing to bear. Or it may be even simpler than that in that, like, they probably justified it in that, like, they could say, well, white people are more comfortable with us. Right. So let us go forth and make the way for well, you guys. And they made me I made mean, themselves feel better by I, saying that. I think that's a lot of what the white suff- suffragettes said in the beginning as well. Like, they'll listen to us if we talk about 
you know, women's rights. They probably mm-hmm. won't listen to you as much. So let us be the faces of this movement. And then eventually they were and just we'll pushed out. we'll make it out. better for all of us. Right, right? exactly. Like, but eventually mm-hmm. they were just completely pushed out mm-hmm. when they started making headway with mm-hmm. the goals that they wanted to achieve. Yeah. So even after that, you know, even going into segregation, light-skinned students... Okay, this so now, now we're recording in the dark because my light kept <laughs> flickering. And so it was like... <laughs> We had to make a decision. It was like either deal with the flickering lights or just turn the lights off. So again, when we do a Halloween episode next year, we have to record in the dark because this is spooky as fuck. Very discombobulated at the moment. Okay, but all right, um, <laughs> you've got a low light happening. <laughs> very scary. Hold on. So even during segregation, light skinned students received preferential treatment uh, to that of darker skinned students, and they were therefore given better educations. Again, yeah. like all of this goes into years and decades of um, advantages that Mm -hmm. light-skinned people had over dark-skinned people. Researchers have documented the ways in which many black teachers in segregated schools during pre-Brown versus Board of Education era uh, were infected with the attitudes that preferred lighter-skinned children over dark-skinned students. Light-skinned students were selected as leads in plays and pageants called on first in classroom discussions and visibly favored by teachers. And that's something that, as... A light-skinned person going on vacation with my black family, where we range, we run the gamut of, like, Skin brown, yeah. right? Like, different shades of brown. I can say, especially among older um, black relatives that I have, or friends of the family who mm-hmm. are maybe from another generation, there was this very open talk, and I now think about how it may have negatively affected my darker-skinned cousins or family members. What was said? There was a very open talk about how pretty I was, and when I look back on it, I'm like, I don't think they were actually talking about, like... I mean, you being, are gorgeous. I mean, thank you, but <laughs> I don't think that's what they were talking about. Right. I, 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 the way that they talked to me was like, I think that like you were preferential because, and you were beautiful because of your skin because type. I was lighter, yeah, and because my hair was a certain way. You know, like I had good hair, and like that kind of conversation is so problematic. Like that, that kind of wording um, is so dangerous. Yeah, uh, and. I really do felt like there was this kind of, like, idolizing of... And it's so weird, because you can have the most proud-to-be-black family members. Right. And they'll still idolize this whiteness, almost. Like, right. Like, you know... Was that anything that you feel that you were aware of when you were a kid? When did you feel the effects of this? When did this start kind of coming you know into what? your consciousness? It's really fucked up, and I hate to even kind of, like, actually acknowledge this. And I actually... don't think it is at all, because I think that we've all been raised to believe, at least in our generation, raised to believe what we're speaking about. Yeah, I mean, I, it's it's it makes me feel shame. Like, I feel shame that, like, I, I felt this, but I think I felt pretty early on that, like... Not and again, it was messaging that was being given to me. Right? No, from none like of us other, are saying that you're conceited. <laughs> from That's other not people, what we're saying. but it was like 
yes, you're special. Yeah. Like, not... And, and again, when you're talking about... It's so complicated because when you're talking about people of color, like, when you feel unspecial because you're not white, which is what I felt, and right? And then you were made to feel special by because, your family. Yes. So it's like, you feel unspecial because you're not white and you, in some ways, I wanted to be, right? Yeah. And then you're like, okay, but you are special in this space. Like, and I right? think that's how it continues because it's, right. it's been passed down through generations of feeling uh, superior and being told that you're superior even by your darker counterpart- yes. counterparts. And you it's, know? it's so damaging. Like, you're lucky, you know? Y- yeah, yes, yeah. And that's fucked up. Like, that, yeah. that thing where people would be like, oh, well, you're so lucky that, like, this is how you look or whatever. Um, and th- honestly, the more things that made you whiter, the more lucky you were. Like, if you got green yeah. eyes, it was like, oh, good well, for you, you know? I, and then I have a question as well for you, um, because you were raised by a white mother. Mm-hmm. Did you feel, did you ever feel a sense of separation within the black community because you were raised by a white mother? Or did you feel that you were still accepted because of I feel like how I you was, identified? I feel like I was accepted by my family. Because, and this is also fucked up. I mean, it's interesting, like, mixed race families, like, the dynamics are very interesting. Because I feel like my black family just didn't talk about it like and that's why it made it easy to identify as black because when i was accepted when i was with them i was black like there wasn't i was black and i just was black with good hair and light skin right like they didn't really ever talk about like yeah you know of course when my mom was around like that was a thing but like it wasn't like anyone was ever like you're half white when i was with them i was black Okay. You know what I mean? So within black communities, and I also think there has been this kind of normalization of biracial, especially half black people yeah. as black. Like Obama is half white. Yeah. But like he was the first black president. Halle Berry is half white and she's yeah. the first black woman to win a, a leading um, you know, Oscar, lead, act- lead actress, lead actress Oscar. Yeah. You know, so it's like there so I think by the time I came around, it was just kind of like Mixed girls are black. <laughs> yeah. Do you follow Mixed in America on Instagram? I don't. They're really great. Um, Max's sister, actually, uh, I think she knows the girl who runs it or knows somebody that's involved in it in some way, but it's a great Instagram page, and it's it's all about being mixed in America, being half black, half white, and yeah. they do amazing posts yeah. on Instagram, and, and it's great. It's a very interesting conversation. It's one I would love to have. I don't want to hijack this episode by talking about no, but I think blackness, it's in- but... but I think it's interesting to hear what your experience is because you, you are kind of in the middle, if you don't mind me saying. Yeah. Like, you're kind of, like, you, I feel like, I'm can be dark a very enough, objective person. Right. I'm dark enough that no one is going to mistake me for being white. Right. Right? Like, but I'm not dark enough that I look really, like, dark-skinned yeah. at all in any way. And I and my features aren't so that right. it would look like that. Like, well, I would probably pass the silhouette test, right? Because I have, like, a long, a long nose and a long face, you right. know? Um, but uh, for me, I don't feel like I've heard a lot of stories of people who are lighter skinned who are coming out as being um, allies and discussing maybe their own shortcomings growing up. And that's why I I was curious when you started talking about your family, uh, the ways that you perceived Mm -hmm. that and how that's uh, affected you into adulthood. I think that's totally on the nose for colorism. And I will say yes. And, And I will say like, it has been, like I said, like, 
and this is why I try to have grace with people, um, because you don't always have your eyes open to the things that are happening. Like, I was aware of it, Mm -hmm. but not aware of it in such a way until I watched that documentary, right? Right. Now, that's not to say, like, again, I chose to watch that documentary and educate myself, okay? So, like, everyone needs to... You, do that. you need to educate yourself. Um, you can't expect the world to educate you on those things right. because they're actively working against you knowing but information now, about But now that. that I know, it does make me better equipped to help my dark-skinned brothers and sisters because, like, they have it harder than me. Like, yeah. objectively, yeah. they do. And, like, I need to be able to be a good ally for them and, and, like, speak on their behalf right. and not try and, like, take over <laughs> the conversation. Shine, shine the spotlight on them as you're bringing attention to a certain problem. Right, because it is it is harder. And um, we can talk about the ways in which it is harder. Yeah. Um, and why colorism matters so much and why is it, it's so insidious. So um, colorism... It, it does yield real-world advantages for individuals who have light skin. Yeah. For example, and this is moving out of, um, you know, kind of like we were talking about Black America, but light-skinned Latinx people make $5,000 more on average mm-hmm. than dark-skinned uh, Latinx people. Uh, and that is from the author of The Hidden Brain, How Our Unconscious Minds Elect Presidents, Control Markets, Wage Wars, and Save Our Lives. Love it. And there was a Villanova University study of more than 12,000 African-American women imprisoned in North Carolina, and it found that lighter-skinned black women received shorter sentences. Yeah, by 11%, actually. Yeah, wow. I didn't have that number. Yeah. Um, And then there was research by Stanford psychologist Jennifer uh, Eberhardt, and she found that darker-skinned black defendants were twice as likely as lighter-skinned black defendants to get the death penalty for crimes involving white victims. So, I mean, and and all of that is unconscious bias, right? Like, it it really is. I've... I've actually got a list of um, statistics as well. I got a lot of my information from a website called ThoughtCo. Um, they are one of those websites where you click yes. on one thing and then it's like, here's another article you might like. Here's the, another article you Thought might Co. like. The Co. article was actually good. It was so yeah. good. And then I clicked on one that was just all statistics and it was giving me some like actual numbers that mm-hmm. were tangible here. Um, they say that immigrants in general who are lighter skin will make 8 to 15 percent um, more than similarly qualified darker-skinned immigrants. Dark-skinned Brazilians make 63% of the poorest sectors in Brazil. Light-skinned black women have a 15% greater probability of marriage. 15% mm-hmm. greater probability yep. of marriage. And that made me think of The Bachelor. Um, but I'm also, my head is in Bachelor right. world I mean, right there, now. There's a reason why having um, Rachel as The Bachelorette was a big deal. Huge deal. And it wasn't just because she was the first black bachelorette it was also because she's a dark-skinned woman she is and that's it makes a difference it, it really does because does. for so long black people black women dark-skinned black women have had to see success um look like yeah Halle Berry or Lena Horne or Dorothy Dandridge all wonderful ladies yeah. but like they were all light-skinned, very palatable yeah. women. Yeah. Yeah. It, I to mean, the white to the white community, let me clarify that. Right. Um, this was crazy to me that the difference in pay between darker and lighter skinned men mirrors the pay discrepancy between white and black people. Mm-hmm. That's insane. And that doesn't um, surprise me at all. I, I, it shouldn't surprise me, but there's something about seeing the numbers and seeing it written down 
where it's almost like you get all these bits of information Mm -hmm. and everything is starting to make sense and you're just like, what the fuck? I just want to take this opportunity right now to also, because I've heard um, light-skinned or uh, biracial black people talk about how they've been called like high yellow and those things are insulting and there's another word I can think of that I don't want to say that starts mulatto that starts with an O no I mean it's it's a food it's it's a cookie it's America's favorite cookie Oreo. Oh yeah. yeah. Oh yeah. Yeah. I still don't sure. want to say. I'm not gonna say it. Oh, like no, it's still I, totally fucking shitty. I'm I was not gonna called, say it. I was called an Oreo and all that stuff. It, it's fine. I mean, it's not fine. But, <laughs> but what I'm getting at though is that like I've heard it's kind of like where people are like, well, I've been skinny shamed, so it's just as bad. And I'm like, no, it isn't. I. That <laughs> makes me. We're not gonna get into it now, but that makes me. So mad. It's not the same. It's not the same. And look, like, don't go and call somebody high yellow in like a in a malicious way because it's not nice. I've never heard that to name call high yellow. It was a it was a name for um, light skinned slaves back in the day. They were called high yellow because they were like um, high and mighty. Yeah, light complected high yellow. I don't like that. But no, no, it's not nice. No, it's not. Don't compare. Like when you go through the struggles and the statistics of the differences between light skin and dark skin um don't go and what about me oh totally <laughs> this situation totally it sucks look nobody make fun of anybody else but yeah yeah um also the last um statistic i have is that dark-skinned girls are three times more likely to be suspended from school which makes me mad well yeah there is this kind of bias about dark skin girls being misbehaved like we we kind of assu- it's it's all of those stereotypes about like black women being loud or difficult or strong-willed yeah um and i think those things get projected onto dark skin people and isn't that such a bad thing to be strong-willed oh, oh my gosh how dare they oh my gosh i'm loud and strong-willed yeah, I wasn't treated as shit. I was suspended in school, though, in seventh grade. They did get on to me a lot for talking way too much. I got suspended. I actually got suspended with a darker-skinned boy in my class. And we, we did get the same punishment. Well, but we progress. Should, but we shouldn't have gotten suspended. <laughs> we should, it was for fighting. And we were not fighting. <laughs> Hashtag we, progress. We were, like, enemies. And over that, we became, like, best friends. And it was great. So, but yeah, it not really progress, but... <laughs> made me think of that. So there was a um, 2010 study, and I will pull this clip from YouTube and put it up on our uh, Instagram, probably in preparation for this episode, so probably in the days before. I look for that on our Instagram. Uh, but there was a 2010 study that CNN did where it interviewed young children who were five, six, and seven years old, and it asked them to place values and attributes on people based on their skin tone. I've seen this video. And it, this video makes me want to cry every time it's I horrible see it. because you watch clips of this study and again if you've seen the documentary dark girls it's in that documentary um but the results are just super super heartbreaking so in one clip you see this um little dark skinned girl she was probably like um i don't know i want to say she was like six. Oh, baby like little baby like girl. she's she's a, a black girl with dark skin and um 
she's looking at identical drawings with skin tones ranging from light to dark mm-hmm. of a, a girl. So it kind of looks like a doll almost, right. but um, it's identical. All I've done is changed the skin the tone. Color. There's probably six of them ranging from very light to very dark. Mm-hmm. And the researcher asks, point out the smart child. And the child points to the lightest skin drawing. And then the researcher asks, and why is that child smart? And the little girl says, because she's white. And the researcher then asks, show me the dumb child. And the little girl points to the darkest of the drawings. And when asked why she's dumb, the child says, because she's black. And the same thing happens when the researcher says, show me the ugly child. And she points to the black one. And then show me the good-looking child. And she points to the white one. And when asked why, she says, because she's light-skinned. Yeah. So these have real lasting effects that start so Young. They do. And actually, I was reading that um, Lupita Nyong'o, Gabrielle Union, and Kiki Palmer have all spoken out about when they were younger. Like, L- Lupita Nyong'o has said in interviews that she used to pray to God at night that she would wake up yes. with lighter skin. And when you hear these stories in Dark Girls, they literally say that. they Like, there's one... Um, girl who they interview. I don't even think she's... She's young. She's probably yeah. a teenager. Um and she said, when I was a child, I used to wash my face and wash my face and try and, like, <sighs> because I thought it was I, it was dirt and I wanted to get it yeah. off of me. And to some extent, I think I've told the story on this podcast before that, like, I remember one of my earliest memories is sitting in the sandbox with my brother and putting sand on my body because it made, when, it, when you brush the sand off, it left a dust that made my skin look lighter. lighter. And, like... There, so these things they happen to you. You take in this information, and it is harmful. And that's why kids are smarter than you fucking think they are. They like are. they they see everything, and they're going to base their prejudice yes. off of what they're told or not told. Well, and and it has real life consequences, as yeah. we just said. Like with all those statistics, like it does affect your life, it, well, and it's something that you absolutely don't have any control or power right. and over. this young girl that was in the study you were talking about thinks she's ugly thinks she's dumb she could be the most beautiful smartest girl in the entire she's planet she's fucking adorable and she's so cute yet she thinks that about herself so what does that mean for her how is she going to take herself seriously in school how is she going to take herself seriously in dating yeah what what happens to you when you're a child it affects your self-esteem for the rest yeah. of your life. And then that's compounded by, the, like, it's not all in their heads. It's yeah. compounded by the fact that, yes, the world is treating you differently. Yeah. Like, it's not in your head. Like, you you have these issues, I'm sure, self-esteem-wise. For a reason. Um, and I, I follow a lot of, like, YouTubers. Um, and Jackie Ina is a beauty YouTuber who is darker skinned. And she talks about this thing all the time. And I, I love that she points this out all the time. Uh, because we, it's also reflected in something so simple or seemingly simple as makeup, makeup, mm-hmm. not being able to find your shade of foundation. Oh, when Rihanna came out with her line, it was like people freaked out because yeah. it was like not only were there shades like that went dark enough, but they had a ranging Multitude. variety of undertones, right? Like it's not like dark skin is this monolith that yeah. every everybody who has dark skin can just be a mocha ex, yeah. you know foundation shade and then it's fine yeah um so it, it's something so simple that i feel like so many people take for granted is like being able to find makeup that shows up on your skin yeah or that matches your skin yeah 
it's it's things like that and and these messages unfortunately are still being reinforced today when we look at covers of magazines mm-hmm. and we can easily point out that Beyonce's had her skin lightened or yeah. Lupita Nyong'o <laughs> has had her skin lightened or Kim Kardashian has had her skin darkened. darkened what the fuck Jesus Christ yeah that shit was ridiculous and Kylie I really quick I want you I don't know if I want to read this or if I want you to read this, but I'm sure you read this at some point. There is a horrible childhood rhyme because we were just talking oh, about... Oh, yes. Yeah. We were just talking about that. Uh-huh. I don't really want to read it because it's really I'll fucking read it horrible. You want me to. Do you want to read it? I sure. just don't want to read it. But this was in the beginning of the 20th century. It was a popular children's rhyme. Right. Um, and... This was not something that was... Uh, I went to a very multicultural elementary school, so this was not a, a rhyme. I've never heard this before. Uh, that went on in my uh, school, but I have no doubt that this was something that was definitely said, and something that was definitely said in black communities, I'm sure. Yeah. Um, if you're black, stay back. If you're brown, stick around. If you're yellow, stay mellow. If you're right. If you're white, you're all right. Yeah. So these kinds of messages were being given to people at such a young age, and they were having to absorb that. They were having to see all of these key figures or what was considered beautiful in the black community being represented by people who were lighter skinned with slighter features. Um, And it has an effect on you. I'm not even dark skinned, and it had an effect on me. Yeah. (laughs) You know, so... It's just something that I think that everybody should keep in mind. And not only is it psychologically damaging, but it is actually physically damaging. Um, light skin is so coveted that whitening creams yep. are are super popular among a, a lot of different ethnic groups. Yeah, there's a... There is a product sold out of India, and I had it written in my first draft of notes, and it somehow didn't make it into my second. But there is a a brand of basically bleaching cream. Yes. And it has something like 35 million buyers exactly around the world. exactly what you're talking about. Yeah, it is so unhealthy. I mean, that goes into like when we were talking about our um, beauty standards episode, yes. our unhealthy beauty standards. Yes. Like, it's so dangerous, yet there are millions of people, multiple millions of people around the world using this cream to lighten their skin. Yes, so... Um, Lightning screen, uh, lightning creams have become bestsellers in the U.S., in Asia, uh, in other nations. Mexican American women in Arizona, California, and Texas have reportedly suffered mercury poisoning mm. after using whitening cle- uh, creams to bleach their skin. In India, popular skin bleaching lines target both women and men with dark skin, um, and skin bleaching cosmetics persist after decades. Um, and it's 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 just kind of this example of this like enduring legacy of colorism. Yeah. And I, because it's Black History Month, I really wanted to focus on the origins of colorism within the Black community and the effects of it, and yeah. um, how a, and its continuance. I do think at some point we should make an effort to focus on other cultures because this. I, I'll tell you, I was in South Korea. This shit is fucking everywhere. Oh, yeah. You can't go anywhere in South Korea, in Seoul. You can't go into, like, any beauty shop, which the beauty industry in Korea is massive. And so when I was in Korea, I was like... I'm going to get me some of this stuff. I bought snail 
cream. Oh, I, I would have like, done everything. Give me all the shit because I'm in South Korea and like yeah. this is what you do here. That's what I would do. Um, so I, I, I did. I went into a lot of beauty shops and I bought things, and every single place had advertisements, very blatant. Whiten yourself. Yeah. Whitening cream. Don't you want to be white? Like everything did. Um, and it, it's a major, major issue. And I remember yeah. watching a video where it was people of different nationalities who were all dark skin according to their nationality. So right. there was like a, a, a dark skin woman from India, a dark skin woman from Korea, et cetera, et cetera. And all talking about their experiences. And yeah. it's all awful. We can do a part two. I'm right, totally here right. for it. it. Yeah, maybe after after um, Women's History Month. Yes, we'll we'll do a part two that's that's talking about colorism worldwide. But it's and and the histories of it in these different cultures are fascinating. I think that the history of it in the United States is particularly fascinating because it's so closely tied to slavery. Um, but yeah. in other cultures it exists and it exists for different reasons yeah. very often because um, light-skinned people were inside while dark-skinned people were peasants working and outside. It, right, and that, it's, a, it's a sign of superiority and class nobility, and status yes. and education. And, and that mentality yeah. has just persisted regardless of whether or not it makes any sense. Well, and it's horrible because you're raised to believe that in order to get a better job, in order to get a better education, you need to do those things so you're willing to put yourself at risk if that means giving yourself a better life. Well, I mean, and that's, yes. And I don't know how that's going to stop. And it's not just giving yourself a better life. It's it's along the same lines and, like, you know, forgive me for, like, for making this um, kind of comparison. But it's the same way that people will do dangerous things to be thin. Yep. Right? It's the <laughs> same way that people will do dangerous... We had a whole episode about, like, dangerous beauty trends because... Whatever it is that makes... Because because at the end of the day, being attractive by society's narrow definition of what that means makes your life easier. And if you... If you can do that, I think a lot of people don't really care yeah, about, why, like, the damage. Yeah, why would you make your life harder when you can make your life right, easier? Right, then they don't care about but the that, damage, but, you know what I mean? But much like what you just said, when we talk about diet culture, I don't know how it's ever going to stop. I don't right, know how... No. Without how, society making some kind of enormous change, it won't ever stop. And that's the thing that's frustrating is because these companies are making blood money really it, uh, the diet companies the companies that are selling whitening creams it's mm -hmm. they know what they're doing yeah black china was the um she had her own whitening cream she came under fire for that like a couple of years ago Fuck. because she was selling it in africa because it's a huge huge yeah, thing i bet i in, bet in parts of africa and, and it's just it's that thing um, where it's like we talk about a problem without me being able to tell you what I think a solution would be. And that's something that's hard for me to do. Whenever we talk about a problem, I like to think about what a solution could be, and I don't think that there is one. There's well, okay, so if we want to end this on kind of maybe a bit of an <laughs> uplifting note, um, since it is Black History Month, and that was the focus mostly of this episode, mm -hmm. I will say, um, not that I want to be the spokesperson for the black community, but I will say... Well the black community in this room <laughs> in this room in this closet that i think what it's going to take from the black community is this is solidarity right yeah. like we need 
to stop it. Yeah. <laughs> Everyone, well, everybody in, within the black community, we need to stop having this very narrow view. And I like that we've started to see it with things like hair love, where we're, you know, we just talked about yeah. that in the mini episode, episode where there is this natural hair movement and there's these other things happening that are saying, like, this is just as beautiful. Yeah. And, like, we need to refocus and change yeah. our our definition of what beautiful is. And we need to support each other because... As sad as it is, I think that people of color expect people outside of their group to say things about them. Right. It hurts more when people within your group are saying those things. Yeah. So as a black community, I think that that's kind of step one. Yeah. Is like, we gotta fucking shut that shit down. Right. And I think in general, what I have written as the last thing in my notes is no matter what your race or ethnicity or background is, is just teach kids that there is no skin color that is inherently wrong or bad. And that's hard to do because you can, as a you know, I take care of a child for a living and you can say something to a kid a million times and they get it. It's different to have them actually follow through with it when everything in society is pushing against you. Yes. Um, and I, you know, this, this month I've spent a lot of time with the child that I take care of, um, doing research about black history month and learning about people that he didn't know about. I talked with him about colorism before, cause he always wants to know what we're going to talk about. And for me, that was an important conversation to have and asking him questions about what do you do you think there are skin tones that are bad? What are your thoughts? What makes you think that? And I know I'm talking to a child. He is very I mean, Mm -hmm. children are very emotionally smart. Mm -hmm. Like they really, really are. And it was a great conversation for me to have with him. And it was eye opening to me as well. Also to be researching this and also to be exploring things in Black History Month that I didn't know about that I'm then learning with him. Mm -hmm. And I think you know, everything comes back to the next generation. We always hope that the next generation is going to be better than the one that we're in now. And if there is a way that we can convince our children and convince the children that that your skin tone does not mean that you are different than anybody else as far as your worth and your superiority. Or your capability. Or your capability. Like, that's important because we have to start changing that prejudice. Right. Yeah. And I think that a good way to do that or something to just keep in mind would be to mentally check yourself. Like, we've had this conversation on this podcast many times, um, but there are unconscious biases that happen just because we live in a society that has told us something forever, right? And so um, it is a challenge to every one of us to stop ourselves. Yep. Yep to examine our thoughts um, and then proceed, right? Like, I, because yeah. you could be passing shit on. Um, and I say this coming from a black family. Like, I think that they passed things on um, without meaning to. Like, they yeah. weren't meaning to do damage, right? To you but, or like, your cousins or anything. But. Yes, but, like, they they did, And so it's just something to be very conscious of. Right, and I think, you know, I've said this a million times on this show, but again, it is not the first thought that you think, it is your corrective thought. Yeah, that's exactly right. That makes you the person that Mm -hmm. you are. It's not the first thought that you have, because I've beaten myself a lot up about that in the past. Yes, of course. And when I learned that, I finally was able to realize that I'm bettering myself when I correct my own unconscious bias. Yeah. So... And we will definitely, um, I'll make sure to label this episode so that people... Know it's uh, part one. ...understand, yeah, yeah, that this is, we are talking about 
mostly colorism within um, the African-American community as part of our series on Black History Month, we will do a follow-up episode or maybe like a bonus mini episode or something because yeah. I don't know if we'll fill another hour um, talking about it, but we can definitely um, do another episode where we, we discuss yeah. this um, in other cultures. So if it is something that you have experienced within your culture, uh, I definitely want to hear about it because yeah. I, I know it exists and I know that there are especially complicated dynamics in um, Latinx cultures where there are maybe like black Latinx people yeah. uh, who have to experience um, very intersectional, interwoven kind of forms right. of discrimination. Yeah. So I would love to hear from you about that. So if you have anything um, that you want to reach out to us about, or if you feel like there was something in this episode that we didn't talk mm -hmm. about, please, please reach out to us. Our email is neighborhoodfeminist at gmail.com. You can also find us on Instagram where I will be posting um, that heartbreaking video Yeah. Um, at Angry Neighborhood Feminist. You can get us on Twitter for now <laughs> at Yamf Podcast, Y-A-N-F Podcast. You can also find us on Facebook. We have a group and a business page. Feel free to leave us a review yes. on our business page or on Apple Podcasts. We love hearing from you. And, um, um, you can also listen to us on Radio Public. You know it by now. And I think that's all, yeah. all we got, right? That's all we got for now, you guys. Thank you so much for listening. With all that being said, we encourage you to rage on. Bye. Cheers. Cheers. Wow. I like it. It's a crossover. I know it's a crossover, but thanks for bringing it in. Contained herein are the heresies of Radolf Buntwine erstwhile monk-turned-traveling medical investigator. Join me as I uncover the blasphemous truth of a plague-ridden world, that ours is not a loving God, and we are not its favored children. The Heresies of Radolf Buntwine, coming January 2nd, wherever podcasts are available.